From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox president Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF. This is Bloomberg Business of Sports with Michael Barr, Scarlett Fu, and Mike Lynch from Bloomberg Radio. This is the Bloomberg Business of Sports show, where we explore the big money issues in the world of sports. I'm Scarlett Fu. And I'm Mike Lynch. Michael Barr is off for the day, but he will be back next week. But of course, Lynchy, we've got to talk about the Super Bowl because the numbers are in and they're blockbuster. Kind of what we expected given the end of the regular season and how things shook out with the drama during the playoffs. But these were some big, big numbers. Yeah, it was the largest audience for a Super Bowl in five seasons. Uh, it averaged uh, a little over 101 million viewers when you factor in all the platforms in addition to regular television. More than 112 million people tuned in for this game. It was big news at halftime. 100 people didn't tune out. 103 million people watched the halftime show. All of Gen X. Telemund- all of millennials. All of Gen X. Yes, yes. All my daughters called me and said, Dad, you're not going to like the halftime show, but we are going to love it. And they <laughs> did love it. And, and I thought it was very clever and very imaginative. Uh, Telemundo had the largest audience they ever had. For for uh, for a Super Bowl, and you know, uh, I think the big winner in this though was NBC because their Olympic coverage had been uh, well, it had been great, but their audience had been so sparse. It was so well, subpar that this made up for it, didn't it? Yeah, but you know, uh, historically, networks would always run a new drama show, a new comedy show that they want. They know they get a lot of eyeballs right after the Super Bowl at 10 p.m. Eastern time, and that's they immediately. It was a brief post-game show, and they immediately went to uh, Beijing. Mm-hmm. And their coverage was the largest since the opening ceremony of 2018. And that is 41 nights of Olympic coverage, the largest they've had. So the Super Bowl certainly was a great springboard for NBC, which really needed a lot of eyeballs. Yeah, this was the most watched show in five years, most watched Super Bowl in five years. We were talking about this earlier, Lynchy, about how these um, numbers are measured. Are they still doing it through Nielsen, which feels kind of antiquated, doesn't account for how people actually watch TV these days? I always thought that system was flawed. I don't think you can measure the number of people that were in in sports bars, uh, parties at people's Mm -hmm. homes, uh, large gatherings. But Nielsen has, you know, they've had it for years and years. And one thing about Nielsen, it's been their numbers have always been consistent. There's there's no peaks and valleys. There are no spikes. Uh, and when you watch some of their measurements, I found it interesting. And this is not too surprising that uh, they listed the top ten markets in terms of ratings for the Super Bowl this past Sunday. And the number one market was Cincinnati, with a 46 rating and an 84 share. That means 84 percent of all the televisions in the greater Cincinnati area were tuned into. The Super Bowl. That makes sense. What I found. But how is this? The number two right behind them at a 79 share and also a 46 rating, Detroit. Huh. Which has never been in the Super Bowl. 
And his, there's the poor, pathetic Detroit Lions, Michael Barr. Would, <laughs> I was like, oh, Barr, Barr's cursing you right now. <laughs> yeah, but, but listen to some of these other markets, and you tell me what's, what, what seems to be uh, others you're missing here. So Detroit, number two, Pittsburgh, number three, hmm. Columbus, Ohio, okay, Kansas that makes sense. City, Kansas City, okay, uh-huh. Milwaukee, huh. Cleveland, Boston, Philadelphia, Jacksonville. I don't hear any West Coast cities there. Do you hear Los Angeles, one of the teams <laughs> that was playing there? Oh, crickets. <laughs> yeah, it crickets, exactly. And that's hard to believe. San Francisco, Denver, which is always a big uh, mm-hmm. a big sports market, especially when it comes to the National Football League. So these, these numbers kind of startle me a little bit. Uh, not so much Cincinnati and Columbus, Ohio, obviously, but Jacksonville. More people watching Jacksonville than in Los Angeles. Stunning to me. People Absolutely are watching stunning. out of spite there. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of those markets you're talking about, people watching out of spite. <laughs> so uh, a successful Super Bowl, and it was a, a great year for Stan Kroenke and the Rams. Uh, they win the thing, and they win it on their home field at SoFi Stadium. And we're off to Super Bowl 57 now. And the SoFi guys are getting ready for the Summer Olympics that LA's going to host in a couple of years. Yeah, they're going to have the Summer Olympics. They're going to have WrestleMania. They're going to have um, World Cup uh, soccer. They're going to have, uh, as you said, the opening closing ceremonies of the 2028 Summer Games. feels like the Olympics come around far too frequently these days, but I think that's just from last year with the 2020 Olympics being delayed to 2021 and the 2022 being on, on schedule. Yeah, I think you're right about that. If there was an appetite for the Olympics when they, when both the winter and summer were held in the same calendar year, mm-hmm. that would be like February of, 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 let's say, 1968, would be the summer games and then the winter winter, winter games first and the summer games. Yeah. And then uh, around the turn of the century, they dovetailed it. They did the uh, – so you had the Olympics every two years, either the summer – There was the summer, it was spaced out four years apart. But it dovetailed with the Winter Olympics. So in terms of an Olympic being held every two years, you've got them. Let's uh, talk a little bit about college basketball because big news. um, Coach K, who is the longtime Duke men's basketball coach, had an issue in the second half of a game against Wake Forest. He had to leave the bench and he didn't come back. I guess it's a little bit of a preview of what it's going to look like next year when he's not there. Uh, it turns out it was some kind of illness, and um, it apparently seems that he's okay now. He had experienced some dizziness, but really, Lynch, we're looking ahead to what Duke men's basketball will look like after Coach K moves on and his successor comes in. Well, his successor is his assistant, John Shire, and he was handpicked or hand-recommended by Coach Krzyzewski. Um The Duke president wanted Tommy Amaker, who played for Coach K. And in the was 19- the men's basketball coach at Harvard, or is? He, he is. Mm-hmm. He, he left uh, years ago to take the head job at Seton Hall. Then he went to Michigan, and he came to Harvard, and he's been enormously successful at Harvard, the most successful Harvard coach of all, uh, of all time. He's won NCAA tournament games. Uh, he gets great players into the school. and is really just, just revived the program. the program. Absolutely. Uh, but Tommy... I think Tommy's dream was the only way he would leave Harvard would be to to go back to his alma mater and coach mm-hmm. at Duke. He feels, feels he would get the same type of student athlete at Duke that he has at Harvard. Um, I know Tommy pretty well. Um, his wife has a wonderful job uh, in the Cambridge area, 
and she has uh, she's really put some roots down there and and they're very popular they're very social uh, with the school with alums and all the friends they made but Duke is where he would want to come back and so Shashevsky had to call Tommy up and tell him this is according to Ian O'Connor by the way uh, who has a book that's coming out February 22nd and it was a very uncomfortable conversation and that, that, that Tommy was heartbroken mm. that when Coach K said, I'm going with John Shire, I'm sorry, I'm not giving you the job. He did give him an option to leave Harvard after last season, come this year, and be an assistant coach for one year, and then maybe get the head job. But, but maybe, that's not even that. a given. Yeah, that was a maybe. So Tommy didn't want to do that. Tommy's got a great deal going over at Harvard, and you know, as, as an alum, I, I don't want to lose him, but I can certainly understand his, his disappointment and frustration at not being able to, to go back to his alma mater. Yeah, yeah, and... I mean, it, it would be an emotional decision, obviously, for him to go back to Duke, but not at the expense of leaving something he's built at Harvard. Yeah. I mean, he's he's the king over there. He really is. I mean, he's just so revered. And, and he goes to faculty meetings. I mean, he interacts with everybody on that faculty. He's not an aloof coach that just stays on the other side of the river where the basketball facility is. You know, he'll be up at the, up at the faculty club having lunch with a professor of uh, archaeology and uh, micro, uh, microbiology. And he just he, he loves that whole environment. He, and his wife has, it, it loves the Cambridge experience as well. Yeah, I had the pleasure of speaking with him once um, because he was very active in trying to look at different ways to recruit student athletes and perhaps um, talking about the value of standardized tests and whether they served the best purpose when it comes to diversifying Harvard's enrollment. Yeah, and he's he's well versed on it. He's 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 not a jock that just you know has a bubble around him and can't see past half court. I mean, mm -hmm. he's he's really a unique guy. He's he's well read. He's well spoken. He has great vision. He's very versatile. Uh, I, I just love the guy. Every time I'm around him, I just I just love him. I mean, I walked in one time to interview one of his players after they beat Boston College, and he had no idea who I I, I had never met him before. And Jeremy Lin, remember Lin Sanity? Yeah, of when, course. When he so Jeremy Lin had a big game against Boston College, and I went over to interview him. And he says, Jeremy, he says, do you know who's interviewing you right now? And Jerry <laughs> says, I don't know, some guy with a Channel 5 microphone. He says, this is Mike Lynch. He kicked a winning field goal against Yale in 1975 <laughs> to win the Ivy League championship. And he's been a longtime sportscaster. It was like he had my bio in his, in his, in his brain. He just, he just hit a button. And I, I was just so, I was blown away that he knew who I was. He understands and, Boston. And, he understands yeah. what it means to be in Boston. Yeah. So uh, I, I would love to have seen him got the job. Selfishly, I'm, I'm, I'm glad he's going to stay at Harvard. You're and secretly pleased. For his whole career. Yes. <laughs> Lynchy's true feelings come out. All right, let's talk <laughs> about golf now because yeah. um, Colin Morikawa, who's the number two ranked golfer in the world, says that he's not going to join the proposed Super Golf Tour. He's going to stick with the PGA Tournament. Lynchy, what is the big deal with with super leagues? I mean, first it was the attempted one in in for soccer, and of course we know how badly that went down, and it's no more. And now this new lucrative Saudi Arabia backed super golf league that people keep talking about. Well, it takes a lot of pressure off some of the players, particularly some of the players who are aging a little bit. Uh, this is guaranteed money. The prize money, the pool is around two billion dollars. Some of the top golfers in the world are being uh, offered as much as $30 million just to come over and play. That's just a upfront fee. And in addition fee. to what, Yes, in addition to what you can win while you're playing. Now, the tour 
PGA Tour here in America, I want to say, has maybe 40 events. There's only going to be 12 to 14 over there, and you don't have to make the cut. Here, mm. you have to play Thursday and Friday, and then they cut the field in half. And, you know, you could go home on Friday night if you don't make the cut. You don't have to worry about that here. You're guaranteed to play all four days, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Uh, they've hired Greg Norman as their spokesperson, their sort of de facto commissioner. There are about 17 golfers who are considered doing it. Uh, Lee Westwood, uh, who's a, a great golfer, but he was knocking on the door last year of so many tournaments, and he just couldn't get over the hump with some of these young guys who hit the ball 350 yards, and you're trying to compete with them. All those guys hit the par fives and two. They're putting for eagle, and, and he's you know on in three and trying to putt for a birdie. So uh, you know the, the fact of as you get up close to 50 years old, it becomes a little bit more appealing. The downside to this is that once you leave, you're gone forever because Jay Monahan, the commissioner of the PGA Tour, has declared in no uncertain terms that if anybody goes to the Super League, you are banned from the PGA Tour. You're either with for us life. or against us. Yes. And a lot of the guys like Colin Morikawa, I mean, that would, that would, he would never have a chance to win a green jacket in Augusta, mm -hmm. never have a chance to win another major. He's won two majors already. But being on this, this tour here, especially if you're one of the upper echelon players, there's great exposure. There are great benefits. There are great, great financial incentives in addition to prize money, as, as we can see every time you watch a golf tournament. So mm -hmm. it's a very, very uh, low-risk for some. Uh, Phil Mickelson may consider it. You know, Phil's over 50 now. Mm -hmm. He did win the PGA last year. But, it, 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 you know, the idea of going over there and, you know, maybe playing 12 it's, events. It's a retirement plan. Correct. I like the way you put it there. I like that. It sounds like um, what happens when pop stars decide that they will uh, do a residence in Las Vegas. Um, yes. Britney Spears, Katy yeah. Perry, Adele. You yeah. know, they want to settle down for a while. They don't want to go touring all over the world and you know, have their sets uh, put up in every different city and do the mic check and everything. They just can stay in Vegas and perform four times a week, five times a week, set schedule. And the and the person who uh, drew up the blueprint for that was Wayne Newton. I mean, there isn't a movie about Las Vegas that Wayne Newton doesn't appear in. Instead of him touring around the country to go see the people, I'm staying in Vegas. You come see me if you mm -hmm. want to be entertained. So this and is the Wayne sort of Newton like of, of golf um, leagues, essentially. <laughs> yes. Pretty good. That's a pretty good way to put it. So uh, a lot of guys have already said no. I mean, Rory McIlroy, John Rahm, Brooks Koepka have already said no. Arakawa is saying no right now. But, but they do have 17 people that are already committed. And I, I, those people don't want their names released because if this thing just happens to go belly up like the proposed European uh, mm -hmm. Super League in soccer, they have sort of, they'll have a scarlet letter when, yeah, uh, when yeah. Jay Monaghan finds about it. Yep. So my question is, it's... Uh, a pot of what more than two billion dollars, yep. and that's coming from Saudi Arabia or companies Saudi linked to Arabia. Saudi Arabia. That's going to mm -hmm. happen every year. Yes, it's yes. In, per and in perpetuity. There's just going to be two billion dollars to, to give away every year. Every year, and, and divide it by twelve to fourteen events, and you'll see how much money is in the is in the pot every single week. Hmm. Like I said, retirement plan. I kind of like it. <laughs> I wish it's something like that for old broadcasters. All right, this is the Bloomberg Business of Sports Podcast. I'm Scarlett Fu here with Mike Lynch. Be sure to catch us each and every Monday, Wednesday, and Thursday where we explore the world of money and sports. Catch me on Twitter. I'm at Scarlett Fu. And I'm Mike Lynch. You can follow me at LynchyWCBB. And you're listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports on Bloomberg Radio around the world. 
Join Bloomberg in San Francisco or virtually on May 7th for The Future Investor, Data-Powered Transformations. This 2024 event series will examine how data is not only playing a pivotal role in investment decisions, but serves as a driving force behind the construction of innovative, investable enterprises. This series is proudly sponsored by Invesco QQQ. Register at BloombergLive.com slash futureinvestor slash radio. 